Let's turn in the Scriptures to the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah chapter 9. We're reading verses 1 through 7. And you should know, if you haven't been with us, that kind of doing a topical series on Christ the Son. As we have come to Isaiah 9, we're kind of stopping here for a moment and uh, looking at Christ the Son. And we have considered His birth. And His birth is not about Christmas. All those decorations are trash. They don't mean anything. They're idols uh, back there. And maybe even these things here. Why are we having this? I don't know. But... Uh, Christ the Son is glorious. He's way greater than any decorations we can put up. Uh, We're thankful as well that He is eternally generated. Uh, He's the eternally begotten Son and not made. And that's really hard for our minds and hearts to comprehend, and that's okay. But we praise Him nonetheless. And uh, and, uh, this evening we're going to study... Um, more so, uh, why it was so necessary that Christ be God. Why did our Mediator, our Savior, need to be God? And um, So here we are, Isaiah 9. And before we read God's Word, let's pray. Our Father, thank You for Your Word. We're thankful how You bless Your people, how You grant to us uh, Your Word, Your Your voice in our ears, even through a weak, feeble man on earth. But yet we can still hear You, even by Your Spirit. And so we're so thankful for this. And so grant us Your Word this evening. Teach us Your ways. Teach us of Christ Your Son and Your great and amazing eternal plan of salvation and for all eternity, even in Him. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. These are God's words. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first He lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, And afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. People that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. 
upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It's a great thing to know, as those are God's words, it's a great thing to know that Christ was not born to be a cute, cuddly baby, as we've heard already. He was born to be king. That's what Isaiah 9 is about. There's a purpose in His birth. And there's also a purpose in His birth to be our Savior. As we heard as well of His serving in the offices of the prophet and king and priest, our Savior, our priest, our mediator. And this evening we're going to focus our attention on Christ, the captain of our salvation. Hebrews chapter 2 says, For verily He took not on Him the nature of angels, but He took on Him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved Him to be made like unto us, unto His brethren, that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. In the work of redemption, Jehovah... We learn in the Scriptures that he, he aimed not only to have satisfaction made to His justice, and so to be sure, to be sure to have an equivalent, equivalent ransom, but that He might be fully pleased. And He designed redemption to be brought about in the most pleasing way that could be so that He would be fully content in it. That He would be fully content in it. And that His love might rest in it with delight. And that His wisdom might infinitely please itself, Himself. It was His perfect design to see all things in redemption meet together and be in accord with His covenant and so order all things to it. And for all this to occur according to His eternal plan and decree, a particular person needed to bring this about and perform it. We kind of learned about that a little bit in Isaiah 5 when we stopped there. To perform the work of redemption, there has to be a particular person to do this work. And so what person? Any old person? Oh, you would have the one most fit to do it. If you're God, you're having the one most fit to do it, do it. And there'd be no one fitter. That's the one you're wanting. So also in Hebrews 2, the fittest person is called the captain of our salvation, or the captain of their salvation. Uh, Speaking of, of us. The captain of our salvation, friends, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And to accomplish the work of redemption, the captain of our salvation was appointed to suffer. For it became Him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And so redemption is Jehovah's grand plan. I could say it's His masterpiece. The works and ends of this masterpiece is bringing the many sons to glory. It was right then for Him to make the choice. Uh, The fittest person that could be found in heaven and on earth to be this captain. 
and to make Him in saving us as perfect as possible. As full and complete a Savior in His person and in His works that could be. That there needed be nothing lacking in Him to be perfectly fit to be the Savior that there needed to be. And what He needed to perform, even to suffer the greatest of sufferings, He needed to be a full, perfect, and complete Savior. And Jesus said to His disciples in Luke 24, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. The captain must be Christ. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Matthew chapter 3, Jesus answering said unto them, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And so friends, therefore it must be the person of Christ of, uh, to be the one who does that great work of redemption and reconciliation. And how does He do that? This captain of our salvation we learn in the Scriptures serves as our mediator. The first point this evening, the necessity that our mediator be God. And as I was preparing this, this is the first point, but uh, it ends with this point this evening. The necessity that our mediator be God. And we've considered this in part and in those parts that we have already considered that Jesus needed to be God, the Christ needed to be God, our Savior needed to be God, uh, we will not touch on this evening. But perhaps looking at new things that we have not considered before. When the covenant of works was first given, and then after the fall, the covenant of grace, it seems wise and, and, and good, doesn't it, that He who made the covenant should be present when the accomplishing of the obligations of that covenant is going about, right? Is coming about. Because He knows all the details of the covenant. He knows fully the conditions of the covenant. And He knows for whom and, and, and what He has, what He was to purchase and how. He knows everything about the covenant. But this goes all the way back to eternity past. God's eternal plan to save His people from their sins. He alone knows the plan. God alone knows the plan. He, he alone knows the conditions. Who is to be saved and how and by what means. Only God knows everything. He's revealed a little bit in the Scriptures. And we're thankful for that and we think that's a lot of information. And He's revealed a little bit. But He knows all. And this, friends, is an everlasting covenant. The covenant of grace is an everlasting covenant. It's so named multiple times throughout the Scriptures. One example of that is Ezekiel 16. It says, Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with thee in the days of thy youth, and I will establish unto thee an everlasting covenant. Now, since it's an everlasting covenant, it is required that God should have the captain of, the, of our salvation who fulfills the everlasting covenant with Him. With Him from eternity. That the captain should know all the secret things of God. That the captain should even know the secret things concerning the covenant that we don't know. All the things that have to go into all the background of the details in fulfilling every single obligation and those things that we know in the Scriptures. He needs to know all of it. 
And therefore, there's no creature that could be capable of this, but must be one from all eternity. Must be God. Romans 11. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been His counselor? And we ask the question, who knows the depths of, let's say, election? Who knows the depths of election which are past finding out? Who knows the depths of the covenant of grace which are past finding out? Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been His counsel? And we think when we study the covenant of works, we study the covenant of grace, or we study that covenant that He made from all eternity to save His people in election. And we think the Scriptures reveal everything about those things. There's no way. There's no way that's true. Who knows His ways? His ways are past finding out to any creature. And think of what the Lord said in Job, Job 38, to Job. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. That's a similar question to this. Where wast thou when the plan of redemption was laid? And that the platform was drawn up? And the, the, the book of life penned. And the names of my redeemed ones written down. Where were you? If you have understanding, get it. The obvious, it's obvious that none of us were there. And we don't know. None but He whose name is Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace was capable of all this. Which names are put into that promise of Him as mediator because it was necessary that our mediator be all of those things that we read there in verse 6. Being the mighty God. The mediator. Here is a promise of Him as mediator because it was necessary that our mediator be all these things. Well, being the mighty God. Even the Son of God. He has been in counsel with God as God for all eternity. This is not quite accurate. Uh, there is no time, friends, in eternity. There's no time. It's outside of time. And so, we all have to apologize for the words used. But He was there. He was there when can't really use when, because there's no time. But He was there when our names were written in the book from all eternity. But they've always been there. Proverbs 8, Then I was by Him as one brought up with Him, and I was daily His delight, rejoicing always before Him. Christ our Mediator was by Him in counsel with Him on which the names are put in. When our names were put in, He was there. When they were counseling together, He was there. Counseling with the Father and with the Spirit. He was there. And so it's hard to describe that since the names were always there. Right? And so, He was there when they were written and yet they've always been there. And so it's hard for our minds to comprehend that. And so He's their everlasting Father. He's our everlasting Father. For those who are in Christ, 
Verse 6, as one theologian says, begetting them in the womb of eternal election. Now consider also the everlasting covenant and the conditions of the covenant that no mere creature, no mere creature was fit to undertake them. Could a mere creature be God's... Go back to Isaiah 5 when we looked at it there. Could any mere creature be God's executor, administrator, and to take on the accomplishing of the promises of heaven? Could a mere creature fulfill all necessary for the forgiveness of sin? Hebrews 9 says, and, it says, and for this cause, He, Christ, is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise it is in no strength at all when, while the testator liveth, whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. And you put that into our language today. Could a mere creature... Could a mere creature be fit to sign the last will and testament for God's own will and testament? No. If a mere creature signed his last will and testament for the covenant, then it would have no force. It wouldn't be legally binding. It, it couldn't be so. And it says in the verse before, we just read, it says, through the eternal Spirit offered Himself. It's by His Godhead. For this cause, He is the mediator of the New Testament. To make good on all the covenant promises, guaranteeing them to all those whose names are written. How was it that the conditions were met for us? He says in Hebrews 8, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put My laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to Me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know Me, from the least to the greatest. How is it that we are able to fulfill that? God needed to meet the conditions. We couldn't fulfill that. God needed to make good on our behalf. He had to make satisfaction. Consider 2 Samuel 23. Although my house be not so with God, yet He hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered, ordered in all things, and sure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire, although He make it not to grow. This covenant to fulfill... The Testament, not only He had to suffer and die, but He needed to order all things. He had to order all things. He had to make it sure. Who's going to order all things? God. Only God can do that. And who is going to guarantee to make it sure? So that when Christ dies on the cross and His blood is shed and that last will and testament is in force, so that we receive that great inheritance, who's going to make sure that inheritance is sure? Who's going to make sure it is lasting throughout all eternity? Only God can do that. 
What creature could do these things? Or should God put so much trust in a creature? Even the angels. Listen to Job 4. Behold, he put no trust in his servants, and his angels he charged with folly. How much less in them that dwell in houses of clay's foundation is in the dust, which are crushed before the moth. It's not even an angel. An angel could not make sure that the eternal promises from the covenant of grace, the eternal promises and blessings are sure. Couldn't do that. Certainly no creature like us. We study in Isaiah 5, only Christ could be the administrator of the covenant. Consider as well what our business is in the covenant. Faith. Faith. Look at all the creatures in the world. Should we put our faith in any of them? Could you put your faith on your eternity in any man, any creature? Is any worthy of our trust? Could you put your trust knowing your eternity, that you would have eternal life? Even if they said, "Uh, you can have eternal life if you trust in me. Would you put your trust in any man or woman or child? In Muhammad? In, I don't know, whoever, Buddha? Mother Teresa? Could you put your trust and your faith in them to make sure that the eternal promises are sure forever and ever and ever and ever? No, they're all fallible and frail like us. Our mediator needed to be someone that we might actually rely upon and trust in. Romans 4. It says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed. has to be sure. That faith must be laid upon the mediator as upon a cornerstone. Think of that. And you're building a house. Your faith needs to be resting upon a strong cornerstone laid by God as a sure foundation. So as you believe, you might not be put to shame. Because if you put it in sand, your house is going to crumble, right? You put it on a foundation like the foundations we make here today, and they will eventually fall, won't they? 1 Peter 2, Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Not one person, if you put your faith on Jesus Christ, will ever be put to shame. Because He can make all those promises. And He does. Sure. And so there's not a creature that could fit to be, that is fit to be our captain, our mediator. Not even all the angels. All the angels. Not one of them could be sure. Any creature... Any creature would be far too weak a foundation to build the faith of the church upon, the faith of you upon. 1 Timothy 3, we're told, God was manifest in the flesh. A few phrases later. Believed on in the world. God was manifested in the flesh, believed on in the world. Who do we put our trust in? It's God manifest in the flesh. 
But if He who was manifest in the flesh was not God, He could not have been the object of our faith. But we need one who we can put all of our faith in, not just a lot of our faith in, all of it. If it were any creature, then we could constantly fear. We would constantly fear. Even after our death on earth in eternity, after the judgment, we would still have a fear that in the work of redemption, fulfilling the covenant promises for eternity, these these wouldn't be sure because it's based on a mere man or creature. That one day in eternity, they would fail us. Because men, women, and children have always failed us at some point. If it were any creature, then we would constantly fear, even after our death on earth. There was in Adam, our covenant head in the beginning before the fall, a fear that we know about now. There was a fear, that is a possibility that he could sin and break covenant. There was a fear with Adam, and he was without sin until the fall. If it were any creature on earth, we would fear that the devil might come and overcome us and him again. Even if we held out for years and they had been faithful for years, there would still be fear that one day, one night, sometime, even in eternity, that they might fall and fail and perish. And we with them. Even of the angels. How many angels fell? We heard about a little bit that about them this morning. Many of them fell. If it were, if it were one of them, we would still fear that one day, at some moment, the angel would fall and turn from God, and the promises crumble and come to nothing. With all creatures, there will be fear that the guilt of our sins would revive again in our consciences. For listen, who alone can clear and purge away our consciences, our guilty consciences? Hebrews 9, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Only God can subdue our iniquities and cleanse and purge our consciences. Micah chapter 7, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again, and he will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And so in order to take away all fears... So you might trust fully, it was right that the mediator, the captain of our salvation who reconciles us to God, be God. Isaiah 35, Strengthen ye the weak weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. 
Then the eyes of the blind, this is where we remember that this is Christ, the Messiah, the promise is right here. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert, and the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. And the habitation of dragons, where each lay, shall be grass with reeds and rushes. Now we know who that is in Matthew's Gospel. That's Jesus Christ, our mediator, who is the God-man. He says here, God will save you. Luke 2, Then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. This is speaking of Christ. Christ is my, Christ is your salvation. He is salvation. But it's not merely about our need to be able to trust and have faith in Christ alone. It's certainly part of it. And that we can depend upon Him who is a sure administrator of the covenant. But this also regards the Christian's commitment and duty to obey and serve. In salvation, you must wholly, completely give up yourselves to the captain's service forever. Or the king's service forever. But we'll use the Hebrew's language of captain. His service forever. And this is mentioned in the legal parts of the covenant for what our, our obligation is. Is. But how can we obey and serve someone who is our mediator, our Savior, except out of thankfulness? has to be some thankfulness. To perform and obey Him is, is due to Him for what He has done. For He who reconciled us must have brought us uh, and bought us and so delivered us from death and hell. And if so... If that's true, and it is, and the gospel and the covenant promises, then it's right and good to be His servants forever. Now, God wouldn't have us be so under the service and obedience forever with such thankfulness, etc., to any creature, mere creature, would He? To completely serve and obey a creature, a man, a woman, a child. And therefore it was right that none but God Himself should save us and redeem us and buy us, purchase us. 1 Corinthians 7 says, Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Why not be servants of men? Because no man, no man is a mediator and Savior for you. No one on this earth who is a creature, a mere creature, redeemed you. And so we don't serve men. God gave no creature this privilege to be the mediator, but God would redeem us so that we would serve Him and Him alone. Matthew 4, Then saith Jesus unto him, that is to Satan, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. Only God shall, Only God should be served. 2 Corinthians 5, For the love of Christ constraineth us, 
Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live might, uh, they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Only the one who made us would do so much for us to justify us, to restore us, redeem us out of this miserable lost condition was more than to create us. And if He alone created us and was able to create, then how much more must our Mediator be God to redeem us? And is there any creature who could have done so much for us as to surpass what God has done for us? To which in our servitude we would be required by necessity to serve Him, the creature, because they somehow surpassed God? No, that's not possible. It's quite Infinitely impossible. God has owed all of our obedience and service, for He has done so much for us, even so much good for us, in order that we might be saved. And so in all, our response has to be with full thanksgiving to serve and obey Him. Because He, God, is our mediator and our Savior. And then finally, do we not need a mediator, a Savior, who knows our hearts? To be able to comfort us, to care for us, and guard us, that we might, according to the blessings and promises of the covenant of grace, rest secure, because we know that He knows God's will. He is God. He searches the deep things of God. And who is His counselor? He's the wonderful counselor. And so when He speaks to us kindly we can be sure God means us good. Even we know that He works all things for good. right? He works all things for good. Well, how can we even be assured that He works all things for our good, but that Christ is God and is our mediator, the captain of our salvation? For it is necessary for the mediator to be one who is almighty and unlimited, in power over all flesh to defend us so that nothing will be able to withstand our salvation or our being saved by Him. John 17, As Thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. To give eternal life to you, friends, it is required that He have power over all flesh. Only God has power over all flesh. For even the devil, we heard this morning, God permits him to go so far and no further. That's not power over all flesh then, is it? For Satan. No, but God has power over all flesh. And so that he can save both the body and the soul. All creatures can do is destroy the body only. And so they can save the body only. And of those two, it's easier to destroy than to save. And so when the Israelites were going through the wilderness, an angel went before them to drive out the Canaanites. And that was God's promise. And in Exodus 33, He said, And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite the Jebusite unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee, in the way. 
He's saying, I will, God will not go immediately up with them. That's disheartening if he's not with them. Because this, uh, of this, all the people mourned. Because of what that promise he just said in Exodus 33 was. They mourned. And, and even Moses. Moses there was not secured by the promise of the angel going before them. Leading them compared to if God Himself were going with them. And so he says, Moses does, Thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. This is just... A couple verses after, he promised the angel will go with them. But the angel to Moses, who's not really understanding what God is saying, but yet think in that misunderstanding what he's saying. He's saying the angel's not good enough. I am not secure and Israel's not secure enough with an angel. We need God. But he didn't understand Jehovah. Thankfully. Which is what is being shown what we need. Because Moses knows what we need. Moses wanted someone else besides an angel, a mere angel. He wanted God. And so when we are fearful and cannot trust and rest in the performance of any other, we know what we need. We need God. This to the people was called evil tidings. And now what Moses and the Israelites didn't realize was that the angel that was going to be sent with them, even though God just said, I am not going up in the midst of thee. He says, they didn't, what they didn't realize was that the angel was God Himself. And He had already promised that. But because they're so stiff-necked, they don't remember. Even just like 10, 11 chapters before this, He told them, Exodus 23, Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have, opened, or which I have prepared. And here a few verses after that, Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not. For He will not pardon your transgressions. For My name is in Him. The people didn't want a creature, a mere angel to be their leader, to be their mediator. They and you would only have and must have God Himself. And so if there's a captain of our salvation, and there is a head and governor to bring us to glory, as Hebrews 2 says, for it became Him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Having the Son of God, just as Israel had Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ as an angel of the Lord going before them. Having the Son of God for this captain, there is none like the Savior Jesus Christ. There's none like Him. And if the Lord had sent a mere angel, a creature to redeem us, how we would have mourned hopefully, as the people of Israel did, and Moses did, and as John did, Revelation 5. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. If man is not worthy to open and read the book, then we need one greater, God Himself. 
And so, friends, you're called today to come to the Lord who is the mediator, who is the Savior in Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ who we heard last week is God. Believe on Him. You can trust Him. The only one in all creation. You can trust Him. To be a sure Redeemer and mediator forever and ever. And so the conclusion of this matter is very simple, that the Redeemer, the Mediator, must be God. And He is. He is. Isaiah 43. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Let's pray. Our Father, thank You once again for our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is not a mere man, but He is the God-man. The eternal, eternally generated Son. The only begotten Son of the Father. The Son of God. And the Son of Man. And we're thankful that He is our Redeemer, our Mediator. The One who is promised of old, who came healing of the many maladies and diseases and lived a perfect righteous life yet without sin, and yet died on the cross for the sins of His people, whom from all eternity He was there with God and the Father and the Spirit and the great eternal councils, writing the names down in the book. And we're thankful they've always been written down why You chose any one of us only shows forth Your great and the riches of Your mercy to us vessels of wrath that we deserved destruction forever. And yet You saved us by the God-man, Jesus Christ, our Mediator. Cause us in knowing these things, knowing more about Him, knowing why our Mediator must have been and is God to respond with greater thankfulness and praise to Your name forever. In Jesus' name, Amen.